Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, and I saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I soar in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by that deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Olivia. Have you ever started out a journey with great anticipation only to have it end in disaster? Maybe you start out on a family vacation thinking it's going to be amazing or a wonderful family day and for whatever reason it ends in disaster. Maybe you start out uh, with a project at home only to break the pipe and it's leaking all over the bathroom and ruining everything that you're doing. Maybe even more seriously, you've started a business and it ended in closure. Or fortunately, as I've encountered a few church planters that I know have planted churches and they didn't turn out the way they wanted. There's many times we can start something and, and have all lots of anticipation and it doesn't end the way that we want. And here in this passage, we will be reminded of the fact that the people of Israel started out well. In fact, there was much anticipation. Pastor Kent Hughes said, in the long history of this earth, no migration of any people began so well and with such great expectations as Israel's exodus from Egypt. So remember the context of this book. This is written to Hebrews, those who would have been familiar with their Old Testament. They would have memorized it or known it. And there's an address here uh, to the people who would have been reminded of God's uh, dealings with his people in Israel. The people of Israel in the Exodus, as we read in, in our Bible. So if, we've been, if you've been reading in our Bible reading plan, uh, you've been in Exodus recently, and you've heard the story where the the people were in bondage in Egypt, right? And then they were uh, set free or able to go because Moses led them out. God protected them with a cloud around them and they escaped. They came to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea and they crossed over into uh, the, the area across the Red Sea. And then the waters covered over their enemies. So God did an amazing thing in the midst of his people. There was much joy and anticipation and excitement that God was working. He'd worked in power and he was going to work in power in his people now that he had set them free. But from continuing to read in the book of Exodus, 
we see that it's possible to start well, but end in disaster. Now, in this book, this is this text is the second of five warnings that are shared throughout the book of Hebrews. The first one that we uh, we studied a few weeks ago was, you know, beware of the drift. And in this passage, it addresses uh, the category of doubt and unbelief that can come from the hardening of one's heart, or rather doubt and unbelief can cause the hardening of one's heart. So there's a warning of the danger of unbelief and an exhortation to guard against unbelief. So first we'll cover the warning. So be warned of the danger of unbelief. So if you look back at your Bibles in verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, even a note, he's quoting a psalm. He's quoting Psalm 95. And he's saying, notice the Holy Spirit says, so the Spirit of God has carried along others in sharing the Word of God, and we can be confident as we read the Word of God, it is him speaking to us. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So what does in the rebellion mean? So this is a a quote. So leave your your, uh, fingers here in Hebrews and turn to the psalm that this is being quoted from. We We actually learn what this rebellion is, where this rebellion came from. And now the original here is when they heard Uh, this quoted, they immediately would have been thinking back to this psalm. So Psalm 95, again, it's it's the end of verse 7, and it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they should not enter my rest. So the writer of Hebrews is warning. The, the warning comes from, the, remember what happened at Meribah and Massa, the rebellion that happened there. So we're, you might be asking, well, what, what is Meribah? What's the, what's the significance of those places? Well, let's just kind of back up a little bit with the story if in the Old Testament of what happened. After they crossed the Red Sea, there's a pattern that we see happen. So we're just going to do a, a bit of an overview of what's happened as we come to this place called Meribah and Massa. So they crossed the Red Sea, and almost immediately, problems begin. Within a few days, uh, we read in Exodus 15.22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So right out of the gate, there's problems. All right, they've, they've crossed. God's delivered them. There's problems. They begin to struggle with the fact that there's no water, but then God turns the water uh, and makes it sweet. And then less than a week after crossing into uh, uh, th- this new land, there, there's no food. In Exodus 16, 2 and 3, we read, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. So we're less than a week. So put yourself in that place. God miraculously delivers them through the Red Sea. We're less than a week and they're already grumbling and complaining. And even though they grumble and complain and they aren't trusting God, God provides manna for them to eat. So God provides manna for them to eat. And then the the story goes on. So he provides manna. And then we turn to, to Exodus 17. And this is what it says. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and called and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So there's no water for the people to drink. And then they start to grumble again. And they, they're angry. They're saying, uh, start to quarrel. And it says, give us water. And Moses says to them, why are you quarreling? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with th- thirst? And so it gets so bad that Moses cries out to the Lord and says, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Massa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. So why do we cover all those details? Because the original hearers would have come to Hebrews, and as the writer of Hebrews is referencing, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion, they're immediately going to think back to all that we just covered, all that God did, and remind them that the people of God had hardened their heart. And it didn't stop there. After almost... Stoning Moses, God helped them to conquer their enemies, gave them the Ten Commandments. Then they actually worshiped a golden calf. And Moses got angry and he smashed the Ten Commandments. And then so he had to get another set of the Ten Commandments. And then things got worse. They sent 12 men across the Jordan to spy out the land, to spy out the promised land. And 10 of the 12 come back and they say, we are not able to take the land. The enemy is too big for us. But there's two, Caleb and Joshua say, no, no, we are able to take the land with God's help. But the people wanted to stone them. And God was going to strike them, but Moses interceded for them. God pardoned their iniquity, but they weren't allowed to enter into the promised land. They hardened their hearts because they cared more about their comforts than about the promises of God. 
when, when a person has a wandering and disbelieving heart, the, result, the results will inevitably be a hard heart. And so the writer of Hebrews wants, wants the original hearers, wants them to know, don't go back to the old way of life. We can be tempted to go back to the old way of life. We can be tempted to go back to the old way of life of compromise. After coming to Christ, the allure of the old way of life is there. It's constantly there. We're being buffeted by it when we're engaging with media or movies or even just with the culture. When things get hard, we're buffeted by, well, that old way of life, that was better. Maybe that's what we should have had. Maybe that's what we wanted. And we can be tempted by that. And when we walk through suffering, it really tests the way, it really tests us and reveals what it is we actually believe. I had a friend in college. We went to hear an evangelist speak on my college campus. And he got saved that night. We went forward. I walked forward with him to pray with him. Um, they actually had somebody who came up and prayed something specific uh, for him as we were there, someone who didn't know him and shared some things that were really meaningful and touched his heart. And uh, he was really overwhelmed by the gospel. And I was so fired up that night. And I was excited that uh, this friend of mine had come to faith in Christ. But over time, as the trials of life came, Life got hard. He denied those experiences with God. And he's no longer walking with God. Jesus said in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, he said, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. We need to be warned of the dangers of unbelief. Because unbelief produces a contempt in our hearts and a reverence towards God, which then produces a hardness of heart in which we are unable to hear from God or we don't even want to hear from God. And some of the fruits of a hard heart are things like being negative, like a constant being negative about things or a constant grumbling or, or, or even quarreling with others. Not that you can't have a healthy dialogue with others, but yet that, like, like this constant, like not trusting God to, to give you what you have or to give you the situations that you have, or you want to just press it forward. Or even another evidence of a hardness of heart can just be disobedience. When you know clearly what God's word calls you to do and you choose not to do it. Now, we should be confident in our salvation. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be confident that his spirit resides in you. But we must be cautious because we, we should not allow disobedience. That's no excuse for sin. 
And if you're here and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus and you are living a life in disobedience to God, he has provided a way of escape. And we sung about that way of escape and his name is Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus, he'll forgive you of your sin and he will bring you into his family. And if you've never done that, I'd encourage you to do that today because there are consequences. The people of God had an experience with God, but they didn't end up in the promised land because they had their, allowed their hearts to get hardened. So we need to be sobered of the dangers of unbelief and then be diligent to protect against unbelief. Can we take the steps to be diligent? Because friends, we are not living in the promised land. We're living in the wilderness. And the sooner we realize that, the better. The people of God were in bondage and they were set free from that bondage in Israel. And then they came into the wilderness and they were in the wilderness and they were to go to the promised land. And we kind of have that picture in our Christian life, this place that we're in that we, we often call the already and not yet. We were once enslaved to sin. And when we came to Christ, we were saved, we were set free from that slavery, but we have not yet arrived in Jesus' presence. Ultimately, the spiritual place, the promised land of heaven. We're in this in-between place of the wilderness, and that's where the people of God were at. And this is where we are. So we aren't here yet, but we're not here anymore. But while we're here waiting to go here, we can trust God and believe him to be who he says he is and to do what he says he's going to do. So how can we be diligent to protect against unbelief? Well, the first thing we can do, we can, we can guard our hearts. So if we come back to this passage, obviously it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." But look at verse 12. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. He says, take care. And we mean to take care. It's not like, well, you know, I'm taking care of my neighbor's pet for a while and just making sure they have food or I'm taking care of my sister's gerbils to make sure that they're they're doing fine and they don't die while she uh, you know, goes on a trip. No, when it says take care, it means to watch carefully. To watch carefully. To be vigilant. To be on the lookout. Or to be careful. Don't assume that you are immune to unbelief. Don't assume, I'm just fine. There are some signs that you might be slipping into unbelief. Obviously, we, we talked about grumbling and complaining, being negative. That, that's something where you want to ask the question, what, why is that coming out? What's going on in my heart? Why am, I, why am I not trusting God for this situation or this circumstance? Why do I keep pointing at the horizontal problem that's there and not looking up and trusting God to work? Or maybe you have a pattern of reaching for the horizontal satisfaction. When things get hard, you reach for the refrigerator or the 
snack cupboard or you start to flip through your streaming service to watch endless things to try to satisfy you or maybe you are incessantly on social media just because you're trying to to grasp something rather than stopping, oh, wait a minute, I can't solve this horizontally. We have to guard our hearts. How do we guard our hearts? It's not going to be to access horizontal things. We need to get vertical. We need to get into God's word. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I mean, even the writer of Hebrews says, therefore the Holy Spirit says, God wants to speak to you through his word. I don't know a better way to have faith towards God than to actually hear the words of God or read the words of God and engage with God. So we want to study God's word. We want to, we want to ask God to bring conviction where there, there may be unbelief in our hearts. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a, what a picture the psalmist gives us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Like going before the Lord. If you're, if you're concerned that there's unbelief, just going. Search me, O God. I'll often go, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. When, I don't, when there's a struggle going on and I'm not sure, am I the cause for that? I want to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. I want God to bring conviction in my life. Why? Because when he brings conviction in my life, it reveals again that he loves me because he doesn't want me to stay the way that I am. He wants me to be transformed into the image of his son. It's not so that I can focus on sin, but so that I can root that out in my life and know that he is going to lead me in the way everlasting. He's not going to keep me there. But we, sometimes we have to ask. Sometimes life gets so full and we get so caught up, we just need to stop and say, God, search me and show me. So studying God's word, asking God to bring conviction, and let's not be casual about sin. Because an unbelieving heart is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Paul even talked about this in 1 Corinthians. He said, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. What a picture just pointing back. These things took place so that we wouldn't desire evil like they did. It's easy to desire evil. It's enticing. There's a reason they call Satan the angel of light. When we love sin, we are rejecting God's goodness. 
And when we reject God's goodness, that unbelief can lead to rebellion in our hearts and disobedience and take us to the place where our heart is hard. And we don't want our hearts to get to the place where they're hard, where God's not able to speak to us anymore because we actually don't want to listen to him because we're driving so hard forward in our sin. We were called out of darkness. So we, we want to not have an undue focus on sin, but when we're aware of it, we want to put on and put off in our life. We want to put on the truths of scripture. We want to put off. We want to put sin to death. Again, not an undue focus on sin, but just an awareness of it so that we can be aware of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're aware of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're amazed at who he is. And we don't no longer want that old way of life, but we're looking to the day when we're going to be with him, when all this is going to be gone. So the more we look at Christ, the less we're going to want to be dwelling or trying to satisfy ourselves with that, which is just going to kill us. So study God's word, ask God to bring conviction. Do not be casual about sin. So we, we guard our hearts as it says in verse 12, but also the way we are diligent to protect against unbelief is we help each other. We help each other. Look at verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Apparently, some of the original hearers had become careless about their fellowship in the local church context. Because as we've studied before, when you are alone, you can, you can drift. When you're alone, you can drift. As Christians, we need each other. We actually belong to each other. We are in the same family together. So we should be immersing ourselves in community. Not to have just friends to, to watch our favorite show with or to hang out with and have a good meal. And certainly, we should hang out and have a good meal but no, the, the ones who are going to help are going to be the ones who are going to challenge us, the ones who are going to say hard things that we might not want to hear but we know are good to where we get into a, an intimate enough relationship where we can have that kind of openness and dialogue. I don't know about you, but if someone comes up to me out of the, off the blue and, and starts to, to give their thoughts to me, this I've seen this happen in the store. You know, uh, there, there's some people that feel the need to uh, give parenting advice to you when you're in the store, when you have children. I don't know you if you've ever had kids or you've babysat kids and you have them in the store with you when someone you don't know comes up and gives you observations, you just like aren't ready to receive that. I'm not like, oh, thank you so much. Some of us are just trying to, we're just trying to, we're just trying to survive and not lose a kid before we get out of the store, right? But in all seriousness, when, when you have a friend who you've known, who you've walked with, who you've, you've cried with and prayed with, when they come and bring something to you, you pause. Like, wait a minute, I know this person loves me. And it makes a difference. I know that actually they care about me. They're, they're not trying to cut me down. They're actually trying to rescue me. 
that's why community is so important. That's why helping each other is so important. Because we, we're called to exhort one another. And you can't exhort one another if you aren't in community with one another. If you don't think you're for each other, you, you're not going to exhort each other. It's just going to turn into this and hard things happen. But we're called to exhort one another. So, And to exhort means to earnestly support, to encourage towards action. So not just to come alongside and go, oh, it's okay. And that's part of it. That's absolutely part of it. Comforting in the times of trial, but also to say, no, go. Let's go and do something for Christ. It's coming alongside our friends and say, hey, as we pray for this thing that's in front of you that seems so big, let's pray and expect God to do something that only he can do. In fact, let's pray in such a way that, that the only uh, way that this can happen is if God does it. And encourage each other to faith towards God. That's going to keep you from unbelief. If we're believing God can do it, then we go to do it. So do the fruit of our conversations as we exhort one another. Promote building up. That's what we want to do. Even if we're coming to a brother or sister, if we see a pattern that we're concerned about, when we, when we come, we want to come, make them aware, and then point them to Christ. Point them to Christ. Point them to Christ. Point them to what Christ can do in their life. Point them to what Christ has done in their life so that they can be exhorted to move forward so they don't stay in that place. We're not coming to be like, you know, hit the buzzer, ah, saw this in your life. No, we're coming to go point us to Christ and exhort them so that we don't stay in unbelief, but that we believe that he can do great things. So let's exhort one another. Let's, let's be together. So exhort one another every day. Every day. There's no special understanding of that word in the original. Like there's just, there's a reality of like regularity, staying connected to one another. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in the exact presence of everyone in your small group every single day. But there's, there's something here about being together, about taking the time and the effort to know one another every day. Oh, how much heartache and conflict could be avoided if we had spent time together so that we could be leaning in for one another. So exhort, be together, consistently encourage so exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. When we're weak, we need encouragement. We need that encouragement. We need that strengthening. That's why the text stream is helpful in your small group. Maybe all the ladies are on a text stream or the guys are on a text stream or the whole group is on a text stream. So you are making each other aware of the things that you struggle with or you're intentional to reach out to that brother or sister when you are finding yourself in a place of doubt, of wonder, or you're just confused. You're like, I don't even know what it is. Like, I don't know, is this doubt? Is this unbelief? Is this pride? I don't know what it is. So call, call, reach out, because we need to exhort one another. Don't wait. Don't be like, oh, I'm just going to deal with this on my own. No, let, let's let each other know. So as long as it's called today, so that we don't have to go to sleep without having had that encouragement and being pointed towards Christ. Have phone calls with one another. 
Stop believing the lie that everyone in your small group is so busy they don't want to hear from you. I don't know how many times I've sat in a small group and, and talked and said, hey, hey, how do, how do you feel? We go, go around. Hey, how, how would you feel if, if someone in the group called you? Like, oh, yeah, we'd love it if someone called us. Oh, how about you? How would you feel if someone called you? Oh, we would love it if someone, we'd be glad to take the time and pray and, you know, we'd, we'd do that. We'd go around the group. Everyone in the group, I've not had, whenever I've entered a small group, I've never done that, and someone went, no, I don't want anyone to call me. You know what? It, you, you are a pain in the neck. I am so sick when you call. Just please do not call. I am only showing up here because I'm checking off a box. So let's just have it clear. No one says that. Everyone's like, yes. But yet, we don't take the step of reaching out of calling. Very few people will say, I don't want anyone calling me to check up on me. Usually I'll have people come and say, oh, I wish, you know, no one cares about me. No one asks me how I'm doing. There's occasions where people are like, I wish people wouldn't call me. And usually those are the people that are kind of stuck in a rut and they actually want their hearts to stay hard and they don't want to be open to what God has for them. So I'm just saying, consistently encourage one another. Go with the intention, I'm going to share something about Christ with my brothers and sisters. Let's do it. Let's do it consistently. Let's do it regularly. Let God use you as an agent to help others not fall into unbelief and be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you realize you could be a help to your brothers and sisters in Christ? We don't want to just wait till they get way over here and they're just hardened. No, we're gonna, we want to rescue long before that time. We want, to, we want to see grace come long before that time. And you can do that. You, God's gifted you to be able to do that. I know God's gifted you to be able to do that because I've been the recipient of that gift from a number of you on a number of different occasions, even the people who aren't in my small group. So let's help one another. Let's exhort one another. Let's be together. Let's consistently encourage one another. Let's share how we're thankful for one another. Let's pray together. These actions help us not become hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. So how do we protect our hearts against unbelief? We guard our hearts. We help each other. And thirdly, we hold firmly to Christ. We hold firmly to Christ. Look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, we've come to share in Christ. We hold on to Christ by abiding in Christ. Part of that was what we talked about being in the word, but treasure the glorious truths of the gospel. Treasure Christ. Have time with Jesus every day. Certainly, as you've been reading through the Bible reading plan, that can be a wonderful way because right now, we're, every day, there's a little piece of the Gospels. We're getting exposure to our Savior every day, even if it's a little bit, each day. We don't necessarily have to be in the Gospels to see Jesus because obviously the whole of the Bible points to Jesus. We learn that as we studied through Daniel, and you learn that as you read through the Scriptures. We look for Christ. Let's engage with Christ. 
Temptations will come, but they don't need to turn into unbelief. And they won't turn into unbelief as we abide in Christ. We know if we abide in Christ apart from him, we can do nothing. And we know we'll bear much fruit when we're abiding in Christ. So let's look to Christ. Rather than trying to run and like hold ourselves away from unbelief, let's run to Christ. And know as you run to Christ that God is working in you. God is working in you. For we have come to share in Christ. How did we come to share in Christ? Because God saw our condition and he sent his son. And his son was perfectly obedient. And I know this in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. There's a confidence, an original confidence that we had that's firm to the end, the things we believe about Christ, hope in all aspects of the gospel. See God working in the midst of your hard stuff because God is working. There's not a time where it's hard and you're like, God's not there. There's definitely times when it's been hard and I go, God, where are you? I don't know how in the world you are in this. And I can easily, I could easily go down the road of unbelief, but what I know is true is God is working. I know Christ is working and I'm being conformed to the image of his son. So I want to look to see, God, where are you working here so that I can have faith that you're working rather than drift into unbelief like you don't exist because I know he exists. And again, back to that's sometimes we, why we need others. We need others because sometimes we don't see it and they need to remind us that God is working. So abide in Christ. Know God is working in you and have confidence in Christ even if you lose everything. Because the confidence in verse 14, this confidence, you know, hold our original confidence firm to the end. To the end, until we see Jesus face to face. And that may mean that we walk through hard things and the world falls apart. But Paul says in Philippians 3, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's my prayer, that we would know him. And maybe that we would even share in his sufferings. And that may be coming for us. It seems like it's coming for us. But we must hold on to Christ Jesus, our Lord, and know the surpassing worth of knowing him because we have come to share in Christ. Every person here who has trusted in the Lord Jesus has come to share in Christ. We come alongside one another because those who have trusted in Christ, they have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. 
then the writer says this. He says, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? He's reminding them again. And with whom he, was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? But we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is dangerous. There's an urgency from this message. It says today. Today. Not put it off until tomorrow. Not put it off until it's convenient. Not put it off until we can go. It's been, it's been, a, rough, it's been a rough time for, for all of us. There's been a lot going on, a lot upending, going. And we could be like, yeah, I just, I need to put that off because I'm just tired right now. No, don't put it off today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So don't let your heart drift. Don't let your heart be taken away by the things of this world. No, point yourself to Christ. Because testings are going to come. A.W. Pink wrote this. He said, testings reveal the state of our hearts. A crisis neither makes nor mars a man, but it does manifest him. While all is smooth sailing, we appear to get along nicely, but are we? Are our minds stayed upon the Lord, or are we instead complacently resting in his temporal mercies? When the storm breaks, it is not so much that we will fail under it as that our habitual lack of leaning on God, of daily walking in dependence on him, is made evident. So friends, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, even, even if it's not a watershed moment day, even if it's just the, the simple every day, it's Monday morning and I've got to go to work. It's Wednesday and I've got to take the kids to this event. It's the weekend and I've got to go visit this family member that I haven't seen. It, whatever the situation today, each and every day, encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. Then when those trials come, it will just simply reveal that which is already there. A trust, a faith, a rock solid hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that God is working. So let's remind one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's exhort one another as long as it is called today that we would be reminded that we share in Christ. We've come to share in Christ. And let's hold on to this confidence to the end. We need God. So let's hold on to him. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We
We need you, God, to move in our midst. God, we need you to protect us from unbelief. There are many temptations that lie out there. And I pray, God, that we would be rooted in Christ, that we would be reminded of what Christ has done, even if it's just looking back over these first three chapters in the book of Hebrews, would we be reminded of how much better Christ is. And I pray for us as a church that we would be rock solidly steadfast in Christ. I pray, God, for you to be glorified in our midst. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.